Today, we're going to continue uh, in our worship today with a message uh, from the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark and the stories of Jesus leading towards the empty tomb. Easter is coming. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. Just like uh, David prophesied a thousand years before Jesus' resurrection that, that God is faithful. He would not let his Messiah see decay, but his Holy One would be raised from the dead. So we, that was fulfilled in Jesus. We're going to celebrate that. But on the way, Jesus had a journey that that those last couple of months, those last several weeks leading up, he was challenged, um, he was opposed, and in many of the instances that we will see, we will see some truths that Jesus illustrates for our lives that I think are incredibly important lessons for us to learn. So today, let's go to the Lord again and ask for him to speak to us about, well, the lessons that Jesus can teach us, even in some very simple basic words. Father, thank you for your faithfulness and your faithfulness to your word. We know your good promises don't fail. And so we ask that you would and know that you will fulfill the promise when you said your word does not return to you void or without accomplishing the purposes that you have for it. So today, God, put your word in each one of us. Let us hear from you, the living God, from your living word, that you would speak to us and change us and change our hearts and minds, making us more like your son. We pray all of these things in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, we're looking at Mark in chapter 12, uh, verses 13 to 17. We'll have it up here on the screen, but also you can uh, look in your own Bibles. Um, as we go there, it, it also um, I, I'm reminded of faithfulness of other things that seem to come up year after year. Um, I might need to let some of you guys know that it's tax season. Does anybody, you, you know that it's... I know. It comes up every year. I should know that it comes up every year. Um, and I, yet it surprises me. It's like, oh, yeah. And where did I put all of those forms that came in the mail? Where did I put all? No, oh, I got to dig through my emails. Where did I get those tax receipts? Where have I, you know, and for me, when you work multiple little part-time jobs, you get lots of extra pieces of paper. And I have to double check and make sure I've got them all together. It's tax season. It's, in, it's amazing to me that on this march to the, to, to the empty tomb, as Jesus was moving to his glory, that in the middle of that, he gets asked several questions. And the very first one, it's about taxes. The very first one he gets asked about is about taxes. It might make us kind of believe almost that the two constants in life really are <laughs> death and taxes. Jesus on the way to the cross is getting asked about taxes. And I'm thinking... Okay, God, you're the faithful one. You're the real faithful one. But yeah, taxes and death do seem to come up for all of us, I guess. Okay, let's take a look at this. Mark chapter 12. Later, they sent some Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus, and get this, to catch him in his words. To catch him in his words. Now, 
<clears throat> Those of you that uh, were, are taking my New Testament, oh, is that, that's not you guys. Okay, I have a group that are taking New Testament with me this semester over at Stevenson University. Most of you know that. And they would know this right here. They would pick this up. They are level two Bible scholars now. We're in our second unit. Um, we are level two Bible scholars. They would pick up on the fact that the Herodians and the Pharisees were two of the sort of religious political groups during the time of Jesus. The Romans were in charge. The Roman Empire was imposing taxes and was oppressing the people. But among the Jewish people, they had their own little groups. They had their own little sects. They had their religious leadership, and they had some secular leadership, but you could be part of those parties. You know, the, one, the Green Party, the Republicans, the Democrats, they had their own. One group, the Pharisees, were very religiously strict. They were wanting everybody to follow all of the rules. They wanted everybody to do everything exactly like the prescriptions that Moses had in the Old Testament. I mean, eat what you're supposed to eat, dress the way you're supposed to dress, show up to synagogue when you're supposed, don't be late. The Pharisees were very strict. And of course, they didn't like anything to do with this, these Roman oppressors. The Herodians, on the other hand, were kind of like, when in Rome, do as the Romans, and if the Romans are here, well, might as well do what the Romans want us to do. They were the ones that sort of capitulated and even went along with and supported the Roman um, overlords. They were the ones that were kind of the sellouts of their own people. They were the ones that bought into like, well, if the Romans are offering good jobs, <laughs> might as well take them up on it. They were the ones that kind of melted into some of the Roman culture, but especially supported these, uh, the Roman political system. They didn't get along. They didn't get along. <laughs> the Pharisees were waiting for the Messiah to come to drive out the Romans, and the Herodians were like, yeah, they'll be fine when it gets here, but until then, I'm going to hang out with the Romans. You can, they, were, they didn't like each other. So what do you notice? The Pharisees and the Herodians. They teamed up together. They, somehow, these guys decided they would work together in opposition to Jesus. They're, this should surprise you. This should surprise us all. Well, they were trying to catch Jesus, and here's how they did it. Verse 14. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. <clears throat> True. Jesus is a man of integrity. Jesus, you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of, tr of God in accordance with the truth. In other words, don't look that there's Herodians right here, and don't look that there's Pharisees right here. You pay no attention to who we are. Don't, don't, don't see the trap that we're trying to set up. Be fooled, Jesus, because you are a man of integrity. You're not going to be swayed by that. What were these guys doing? Oh, yeah, they're buttering him up, right? They, okay, they're just trying. Okay, Jesus, you're this man of integrity. Some of you all were here last week uh, for our mission celebration. Did you enjoy that? Listening and hearing about our mission partners during the, that hour? Hearing all the good things that God is doing through this church? One of our missions offerings for this uh, coming up, our Easter offering, is going to be given to one of our local church plants uh, named Radiant Church. And you notice that we had a little video from the pastor from Radiant Church was, was there, and, and um, <clears throat> Rachel did not edit the video. I was hoping she was going to edit the video. But he started off with, I don't know if you saw this, do you remember what he said? The first thing I want to say is thank you to your pastor. Do you guys remember that part? I remember that part. 
he, he, Pastor Orlando said, you know, he's, he's so hardworking, I thought. And then he said, he, he's very intelligent. I thought. And then he went on to say, but his number one quality that sticks out to me is his humility. <laughs> and just like all of you are thinking right now, Pastor Orlando, what a great judge of character, right? <laughs> I mean, what, he left out a few important points, but what a great judge of character. Okay. It felt, I felt buttered up, right? I felt like he just, oh, I really like your pastor. Keep your offering. Keep us in that offering. Well, yeah, yeah. Maybe next year, too. Yeah, you felt a little bit, you know, what's the difference, right? We all are actually called as God's people to encourage one another. We need to speak truth to each other. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians, uh, the Apostle Paul, as he's talking about discipleship in chapter 2, he says that we, like a father, we, like a father, encouraged you, uh, we comforted you, and we challenged you to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. So yeah, we provide comfort to one another. We actually provide encouragement to one another. How is that? We actually remind people of truths that are true from God's word. You are a child of God. God is always faithful to you. The Lord has chosen and called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He has given you purpose amongst his people that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's laid out for you in advance for you to do. God has given you words of encouragement that are generally true about all of us who are his followers. And you know what? God has given you specific truths that are about you. He's gifted you in ways that he hasn't gifted me, that he hasn't gifted Karen, that he, he's gifted Karen in ways that he hasn't gifted me, and he's gifted Eve in ways that he hasn't gifted me, and he's gifted, gifted, gifted Sandy or Phil or all of you guys have gifts among the body, and you, when you're using those gifts, are glorifying to our king and admonishing and building up the people of God. That's why it's so important that we are here and joining together. We need to encourage each other with those words. But you know what we don't need to do? We don't need to flatter. <laughs> we don't need to butter each other up. We don't need to be those that are manipulative like these guys. So we need to stay in tune with the Spirit to know the difference. These guys were doing, using flattery to try to trap Jesus. So once they tell him, hey, you're not going to notice that we're Herodians and Pharisees here. You're not going to notice, Jesus, that, that this is actually a trap. <clears throat> we'll ask you our question. And what is it? The tax question. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay our taxes to Caesar? Now, this isn't the tax that they paid to the temple. They had temple taxes that they paid to continue to help the offerings go to God, to continue to help the Jewish nation as a people flourish. This was not that tax. This was the imperial tax. This was the tax that went to Rome. This is the tax that paid for the armies that then came and oppressed their own people. This is the, boy, to add insult to injury. These are the taxes that went to fund the gladiatorial games for Caesar. These are the taxes that went to fund the pagan worship of Caesar. These were the taxes that everything within their being revolted against. I don't want my money going to support that. I don't want me as a follower of God to somehow be supporting these pagan, awful, self-indulgent, uh, terrible, oppressive regime. There's something wrong about that, right? And you might have some of those feelings even today. 
that there are places where you're thinking, I don't want my taxes going to, right? Anybody? I just don't like paying taxes. But, but even if I do, I, my road, I, if they fix my road, I'm happy. But I don't know that I want my taxes going to these other things. Should we pay this imperial tax? Everything amongst those Jewish Pharisees would say, no, this is a horrible thing. We should try to get out of that in any way possible. And certainly the population all around, if Jesus was truly their Messiah, if Jesus is truly their, their coming king, wouldn't want taxes paid to Caesar, right? Of course, the Herodians are there. Say one word against Rome, and we got you. Say one word against paying those taxes, and we got you. We'll just arrest you right now. We'll just throw you in prison right now. That'll be the end of Jesus. It's a trap. He's either going to disappoint the people, or he's going to jail. Which is it, Jesus? Tell us the truth. Remember, you're a man of integrity. <clears throat> Should we pay, or shouldn't we? Verse 15. But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Jesus saw right through them. Jesus knew exactly what they were doing, and he didn't have any problem calling them out. Why are you trying to trap me, Jesus said. Bring me a denarius, the coin of the day, the coin used to pay the taxes, the Roman coin. He said, let me look at it. And they brought him the coin, and he asked them, whose image is on it? Whose inscription is on it? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And don't miss this. And they were amazed at him. They were amazed at him. Is Jesus still amazing you? If the answer is no, spend some more time. Spend some more time reading the stories of Jesus. Take some time, watch The Chosen or something. Do whatever you need to do, but be amazed at Jesus because this statement right here should actually amaze us. Stuff we don't pick up on. Why are they looking at the inscription? Why are they looking at the image? It was Caesar's image. It was a Roman inscription, absolutely. And Jesus is saying that ought to belong in Rome. But what we don't remember is that in the very commandments of Moses, in the Ten Commandments, they were told not to have graven images of other gods and other things. So in a sense, the coins were offensive to them, and so much so that when you went to pay your temple tax for the Jewish temple, you were not allowed to use the Roman coins. You actually had to go and get your money changed first and pay a little like 10% off, right? There was always like a cost to that. You had to go and exchange your money to even be able to use them in the temple. This money was in a sense offensive to them. So in a sense, Jesus is saying, hey, religious people, hey, Pharisees, hey, those who want to do everything right, you shouldn't want to keep these things around anyway. Why are you so concerned about your money? Why don't you trust God with his provision in your life and get rid of this stuff and give it back to Caesar? seems like you just want to be a lover of money. Maybe that's your hypocrisy. And for those of them that wanted to trap him, he's like, look, you guys are giving in to, the, to Herod. You guys are giving in to the Roman rule. You guys are giving in to uh, not giving God your life. Why aren't you doing what's important and give God everything that you are? What a statement. It amazes me that in this little thing, it captures us. Give to Caesar what is Caesar, and give to God what is God. I start thinking about the traps we face. 
I'm so glad I don't have Herodians. I'm so glad I don't have Pharisees. I'm so glad I don't have Republicans and Democrats at my door. I'm so glad I don't have others trying to trap me into some kind of pin me down. Okay, maybe we do. Maybe we do have things we face. Maybe it's competing demands on limited resources. Do you ever feel like there's so much that you would want to give to if you could? Do you ever feel like, I just don't have enough time in the day to be part of all of these organizations? Some of them seem to be doing really good things and get my studies done and get my work done. Do you ever feel like there's too many things that are pulling out of your attention? Do you sometimes feel this conflict between the spiritual stuff and the worldly expectations? Do I show up at church or do I show up at my grandson's soccer game? Anybody feeling those pulls? We do, right? All the time. It's like, which one is the right one to do? Which is the right decision? How about criticisms for just trying to do the right thing? I was trying to be loving. I was trying to be generous. And somehow I still got criticized for it. Or maybe... It's confusing choices in unclear situations where it just seems like I'm choosing between two different evils and they both seem bad or I'm choosing between two different goods and I just don't know which one's the best. Do you ever feel pulled? Do you ever feel like you're, you're, you're confused and you don't know which way to go? I believe that in this little statement of Jesus, give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God's what is God's. There's a nugget of wisdom. There's an amazing core of truth that helps give us guidance in these situations. Let's take a look. Truth number one, God's design has placed us in covenant relationships. God's design has placed us in covenant relationships. We are in places, in part, placed by God, places that you haven't committed to, that you didn't make a choice about. There are these relationships where you are by God's design. Now, you're looking at that. Anybody know what those little pictures are? Elementary school teachers? You remember these? Where you're trying to teach your, your young preschooler or maybe your young school-aged child about the world? Probably not preschooler. Vicky's going, no, offer, okay. My, my wife's the education professor. She's saying, I'm higher, higher. I'm second grade, third, okay, okay. And third, 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 okay, third. This comes in third grade. <clears throat> I had to check my sources here. In third grade, apparently, is when you will do this, it's about my home, my city, or my neighborhood, my city, my state, uh, my, oh, I gotta get the glasses going again, um, my country, my world. And you have the children write about what is your home like? What is your, what's, what's important in your state? What's important, you know, do you, what's the state flower? What's the state bird? How about your neighborhood? What's it like? And you try to help a child identify the different places that they exist in the world. Did you realize that God has placed us in families? God has placed us uh, amongst in a world where we're a citizen of a country, that we live in a state, we have places that some of them we didn't choose and other commitments we did, but some we didn't choose. Think about Jesus' words. Say to them, Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. These are two different covenant relationships that we automatically have. As God's creation, we are his people. As God's creation, we are his. We belong to God. The whole earth belongs to God. And we also belong to him. And as followers of Jesus Christ, when we make a commitment to him, we actually entered into that kingdom covenant where we are now saying, we will be your people and you will be my God. It's a relationship. 
It comes with obligations. But there's other obligations I have. I was born here. I'm a citizen in the United States. I have obligations to vote, to pay my taxes, to serve my society, to serve my neighborhood. I have places that I've chosen to live. I have, well, let's, let's look at some of these. Family, friendships, work, school, neighborhoods, organizations, country. Some of these we've chosen. Some of these we haven't. And we have obligations there. It's not wrong to pay your taxes it's not wrong to serve in our country in various forms, in the military. It's not wrong to vote. It's actually, we're not supposed to disengage from the world. We as Christians are called to be salt and called to be light in the world. We are to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ in all of the relationships, in all of the situations where he's placed us. Are there places that you've pulled back? Maybe from family? Maybe from society? We realize that sometimes we pull back out of our own choice, right? There are organizations or groups or commitments that we pull out of, and some of us, <clears throat> we try to spiritualize that decision, right? <clears throat> Here's a proverb. This is a good, this is good, some biblical support here. Here's a good proverb. Do not be one who shakes a hand in pledge or puts up security for debts. In other words, don't you get yourself into some agreement that's going to be a struggle, right? Don't say, oh, sure, I'll help you move on Saturday. And then, like, I don't want to go on Saturday to help this guy move. I mean, you know, that's Carrie and stuff. My neighbor, I could see him across the street. They were moving the other day. I was thinking, I could go offer. Or if I don't offer, then I don't have to help, right? And we often justify this in good ways. And I think we should sometimes, right, have good boundaries. Anybody read those like on the news feed sometimes about those horrible bridesmaid stories? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, young adults over here, right? The, the, the bride, if you're getting asked to be bridesmaids and you're like, and they're like, oh, would you be a bridesmaid? And it sounds like it's such an honor. Come, yeah, oh, yeah. And then you realize, oh, that means we have, I was reading some that were saying they had two pre-wedding parties that were trips. Like, let's go to the Cayman Islands. And of course, on the bridesmaids. <laughs> this is something you're paying for. Oh, the dresses and the shoes that are non-refundable. And always they seem to buy dresses that you would never ever want to wear anywhere else ever again. And oh, you have to, by the way, have your hair has to be long. What? Your hair's not long? Well, buy a wig. What? I, I, I mean, it's all of these things, all of these expectations for finances and money. It's just like, well, here's the answer to that. Just say no. <laughs> just say no. Always have a permanent, oh, I have plans that weekend. The plan was not to be in your wedding. <laughs> That's my plan. I, th th I'm not lying. It's just No. Aren't we supposed to have good boundaries? Aren't we supposed to be ones that kind of don't get ourselves into those situations? Remember what it said in verse 15? Jesus knew their hypocrisy. You see, sometimes, absolutely, we need to have good boundaries, and we need to say no, and look, we need to say no, absolutely. But sometimes, we're just trying to get out of obligations, obligations that are God-given obligations. Maybe within our family, we're just saying, oh yeah, I can't help with that. When we really could, we just don't want to. Or maybe in our church, where we know that God has gifted us and called us and placed us in a body to serve in a certain way, and we're just like, well, yeah, get somebody else to do it. Um, it, it we, we just want to, to 
get out of responsibilities. Part of how we grow as believers in Jesus Christ is being part of a body, making a commitment to a, to a congregation, saying yes to those, those, those roles that God has for us to fulfill. That is part of the calling and part of how we grow. Part of how we grow in our workplace and in our service to God is saying yes to that committee, saying yes to that place of service that, that might not be our favorite thing. Maybe nobody else wants to do it, but sometimes we need to say yes. So how do you tell? How do you tell? Tom and I were speaking this morning. He was like, Mike, you got to learn to say no sometimes. I'm like, how do I know when to say no? Well, God's word gives us some guidance. God's words gives us some guidance. And we don't have time to go through all of these today, but here's some that I would just recommend. Number one, am I asking God for wisdom? Am I asking God for wisdom? Lord, you show me what commitments I should make. Do I just automatically say yes, or do I literally say, let me pray about it? Now, when I say let me pray about it, actually pray about it, and not just use that as a, can I put you off and hopefully we'll find somebody else, right? That's the hypocrisy part. That's the hypocrisy part. But if I actually take time, God, is this something that you've given me to do? Because if it is, you're going to give me the time and the power and the ability to do it. Obtain some godly counsel. Do you have people in your life that speak truth to you that you can go to and say, hey, what do you think? And they're like, Mike, that's just stroking your ego, buddy. That's just, that's just one that's, that's, that's you know, pushing your buttons in the wrong way. You're being flattered. You're being pulled into something that isn't for you. Obtain godly counsel. Or maybe they're able to say to you, I think that is you. I think that is God's calling. Then this is a big one for me. Set a time limit for deliberation. It's okay to take your time to think about, is this the church for me? Is this a commitment I should take on? Should I teach that Sunday morning Bible study class? Should I do A, B, or C? It's okay to take that time to think about those things. Absolutely, that's a good thing to do. However, it can become an excuse. It can become a, I just don't know. I've been hearing about Jesus for a while, but I don't know if I, is, is, at some point you just got to say, I'm taking that step of faith. I'm saying yes. I think I've got all the evidence I need. If this is real, Jesus, I'm trusting you. If this is the church I'm supposed to belong, Jesus, I'm stepping in. I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but Jesus, I'm stepping into this place, to this commitment. We step in and we set that time limit and then we go. We pull the trigger. So often we are paralyzed, uh, whether it's marriage. People want to say, I don't know if we should get married yet. And it's years and years and years. And years. I mean, Sometimes you just got to go ahead and commit. Sometimes you just got to go ahead and commit. Set that time limit for your deliberation. My wife refuses to go shopping with me pretty much all the time now. She's, we have a rule in our family that if it's under $20, I'm not allowed to agonize over it. I will stand there and think... But really, is this the flip-flops that I really, really want? And she's just like, come on and make a choice. It's, it's $4. Would you spend the $4? Let's go. I want to move on. It's worth $4 so that we can just go to the next store. Let's, set a time limit. Make your decision. And just trust the Lord. Because finally you trust God to keep you from making the wrong mistakes. Over and over and over again in my life, when I've made some big ones, like I've said, yes, I think this is really what God has, and it's not what God has, he's shut the door. He's shut the door. I've learned to trust that. That doesn't mean I just, you know, oh, I'll just, you know, but 
when I've prayed about it, I've sought godly counsel, I've set my time limit, and I think this is what I'm supposed to do, then you do it. And if it's not from the Lord, trust that God was saying, I'm not going to let you make a mistake. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. What's his good promise? And he will make your paths straight. He's the one that will be faithful because he just always is. Truth number one, you are placed in some of these relationships. You're placed in these covenant relationships. That's God's design. Truth number two, God's image calls us to faithfulness. God's image calls us to faithfulness. When you are in those relationships, be faithful. Now, we see this all the way from the beginning of the Bible. So let's start with Genesis, and I'm going to work us straight through the Bible. Okay, not the whole thing. But in the very beginning, Genesis 1, it says this. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God's created us to reflect his glory. We are unique in all of creation, that we are in his image. What all that that means... Sin and our own selfishness has marred that image. We are separated from God. But Jesus came to restore that image that we are now to be conformed to the image of Jesus who is the image of God. God has called us to this and these relationships give us those opportunities because look at what it says about God's faithfulness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ Jesus. And through him, the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God, or to the glory of God. The amen just says, yeah, let it be. Yes, and let it be. Do the things that you said you were going to do. Our God, all of his promises are yes and amen. Yes, he agrees to it. Yes, and let it be. And Joshua, uh, that leader of God's people in the time of the land of conquest, coming to the promised land, Joshua reminded the people as he was finishing his time, he says, not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. Our God is faithful. He's been faithful to you, faithful to me. So this morning, I think the challenge is this. Look what Jesus said in verse 17. Give back to Caesar. Go ahead and do it. If you made a commitment, follow through. Be faithful in your actions. Now, sometimes it's impossible. We all understand that. But we, as God's people, need to be faithful to reflect God's faithfulness. We need to be people who keep our word so that other people might see the glory of God. In Matthew, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Or in Matthew 5, a little later in that chapter, he says, so don't swear by your head, which you can't even make one hair white or black. I've proven that. You can't make even one hair white or black. All you need to simply say is yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. When you make a commitment, let's do this. Jesus is our example, right? He's the faithful one. When it came to the end of his life, we're jumping ahead, but when he came to the end and he's about to go to the cross and he knows and he goes to the Father and says, Father, if there is a way, let this cup be taken from me, passed from me, but not my will, 
but yours. I've already committed. I'm going to be faithful to the end. Jesus is the faithful one. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. So for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This morning, we're going to take time to remember the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because on that night that he was betrayed, on the night that Jesus was going to the cross, he gave us a way to remember. I'm going to ask, uh, uh, some of you may not have received uh, our little Lord's Supper uh, items, uh, our, the bread and the juice. Um, we're going to take a time. If you need, need one, uh, Dick is coming by and he has one for you. Slip up your hand if, if you need one. Scripture tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this every time you eat it in remembrance of me. Would you take a moment to remember the sacrifice of Jesus? As Scott plays for us, you think about what it cost for your sins to be paid for on the cross. Jesus told his disciples Whenever you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. We're told that in the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And each time that you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember now how Christ's blood was shed for you. Take this cup when you're ready in remembrance of Jesus. tells us that whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're proclaiming not only what Jesus did, but it's a proclamation of our commitment to him, that we are saying we will follow you. Our life belongs to you, Jesus. We are making a commitment. We are entering that covenant relationship that he purchased for us through his death, through shedding of his blood, and through his resurrection giving us life, giving us the promise of eternal life.
and the presence of His Spirit. So today, we want to invite you uh, to respond to Jesus. You've remembered, you've thought, but maybe you just need to say, listen, I haven't been faithful lately. I haven't been faithful to God uh, in, in whatever area. If you need to come and just pray at the altar or, or come and sit on the front pew to pray just because you need to be closer to the Lord, if you need to respond, you come. Pastor Barry will be here. I'll be here. If you need to speak with someone. Someone here, though, maybe you need to say, yes, I believe in Jesus now. I, 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 I've been thinking about it, but I'm choosing to follow him. This is your day. You come. Come to the front. Talk to Barry. Talk to me. Make a decision to follow Jesus. Or maybe this is the church that you're saying, no, I, I know now it's time. We want to commit to being here as faithful followers of Jesus. We want to be part of this church. We want to be part of this covenant community. You respond as Jesus is calling you.